You may have noticed we've been playing a lot of De La Sol on RNZ today. Over 25 years after the influential rap trio formed the group's six albums have only just become available for streaming. So with us now to talk about why this is a big deal is Marek Pezinski, a long-time Wellington hip-hop DJ and a long-time fan of De La Soul. Kia ora, Marek. Kia ora, Susanna. Thank you very much for having me. It's so nice to have a conversation about De La Soul. I just need you to know that right from the get-go. I need the listeners to know that right from the get-go. <laughs> I'm an original fan. When did you first hear De La Soul? Um, well, I first heard De La Soul, I was trying to work it out, maybe in 1989 or 1990, just after the release of their first um, album, Three Feet High and Rising, in 1989. So, yeah, there was a, a cassette tape that got passed around um, Marcelin College and Only Hunger. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how we consumed our music at the time. And, and De La Soul was one of those, um, one of those acts on the, on the tape. Let's get right to it. You've chosen I Know, the track I Know. Why? Um, well, that was actually the, that was the first Dale Soul song that I've heard back in, back in 89. Um, it's got a, an amazing um, sample from Steely Dan, um, the funk jazz group from the, the early 80s, so a, a track called Peg. Um, and, yeah, it's just a... A really nice, upbeat, fun, um, wonderful track. Marek, are you still there? Hi. Hi. I know, just like moving around, we're in the zone. Why is De La Soul Solemn, De La Soul, so important? Well, I think um, if, if, if we take it back to 1989, and I guess the, 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 the hip-hop and, and rap scene um, around that time, um, you know, it was... Off, off the back of labels like Def Jam um, and artists like Slick Rick and and Eric B and Rakim and LL Cool J, who are very kind of ostentatious, um, lots of um, you know lots of bling, lots of sort of braggadocious, braggadocious kind of um, rhymes. And then I guess the other side of that is um, your Public Enemy and NWA, which was a lot sort of um, sort of a lot, a lot more harder and you know politically charged. Um, so I guess, you know, like that they were, so when they came out, they were sort of almost the, the antithesis to the, to the sort of the bling, um, ostentatious side of things where they, they kind of, they, they wore kind of baggy clothes when the norm at the time was kind of skinny Adidas, um, and they wore homemade leather, um, medallions <laughs> instead of kind of, um, gold chains. And I guess, you know, their music was kind of, uh, it was playful, it was fun, it was cartoonish, um, it was it was funny, they had lots of sort of comedy skits in between, and I think it was just kind of a, a really sort of striking um, balance um, to what had sort of been prior, and obviously a, a big part of that sound was their kind of the use of, of samples um, throughout their music and the sort of the selections of the samples that they did did choose a lot of kind of soul music and funk through to kind of rock um, so they kind of really created something quite unique at the time it was kind of almost initiating a new era of hip hop which they kind of which they kind of labeled the daily age um, and yeah it was that, that was that was kind of the start of it really 
That was the start of it. So, in your words, why has it taken so long for the public us to be able to stream their music? Well, <laughs> it's, it's a long, convoluted story, so I'll do my very best to articulate it simply. <laughs> but their, their, their first album um, came out on a label called Tommy Boy Records, which was an, a very kind of... Um, a very important, prominent, independent hip-hop label at the time, but home to artists like Naughty by Nature, Coolio, Young MC, um, and so on. And so that was the label that, that um, their work was initially released on. Now, in what, what, ha- what happened in 1991, I think, is the, the, the key to all this, is basically um, De La Soul were sued by a band called The Turtles, I think, um, in relation to a song that they had sampled on Three Foot High and Rising. Now, at the time, it was, um, I'm not sure if it was the first sample-based lawsuit, but it was um, definitely the the the, high, the highest monetary-wise. I think they were sued for a million dollars. And so, basically, they, they lost that case. Because they lost so much money in that process, their... Their, their, all their catalogue moved over to Warner Music, which is obviously um, a major label in, in 2002. And Warner Music, after seeing, um, obviously after seeing how much they lost in that lawsuit and how sample-heavy Dallas Soul's catalogue is, that it's not worth it financially to pay for and clear all the samples throughout the catalogue. Now, I'm, I'm talking there's, you know, in the six albums that have been released, there's, um, two, there's over 200 samples um, from every, anyone from Michael Jackson through to uh, Steely Dan, through to Eddie Murphy, um, and so on. So I guess what, what happened is there was a lot of backwards and forwards between different labels until eventually in... 2021, um, the catalogue was sold on to um, a label called Reservoir Media, and Reservoir Media had been following the um, the ordeal all the way through, and they wanted to make a point of buying the catalogue, um, giving it back to De La Soul, and then working through the laborious task of um, clearing every single one of those samples so it could finally be released um, onto, onto streaming platforms. You did that very well, just so you know. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> you did. Now, um, I wish that we had more time, but let's not um, pass the fact that you've got some stories up your sleeve about De La Soul, specifically when your paths crossed. Um, yeah, well, it was actually back in 2006, I was working for a record label in the UK called Scenario Records, and um, and we ended up looking after the distribution for the DJ, um, and they were sold, uh, DJ Maceo, um, we were looking after a solo project of his and some, some touring through Europe and that kind of thing, and I remember getting back from lunch one day, and there he was sitting at my desk with a cup of tea, uh, you know, a, li- a lifelong hero, um, just kind of sitting there, and we ended up working, working together for the week, going and having, you know, Thai every day for lunch, and so on. And so it was, it was quite, it was quite a surreal time for me. But then when I came back to New Zealand um, in 2009, I ended up getting the support slot, um, DJing before 
um, De La Soul at the Opera House here in Wellington. So I was able to catch up with Maceo um, again and then obviously meet the rest of the band who were, were really lovely. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a tale I'll never forget. That's wonderful. Well, we're going to close out this conversation with your final selection. Can you introduce it for us, please? Yeah, absolutely. This is um, Break of Dawn uh, from the 1993 album Balloon Mind State. It features a, a very um, chunky sample uh, from Michael Jackson from I Can't Help It from the Off the Wall album. Um, and also a sample from Smokey Robinson, Quiet Storm, which are two of my favourite songs as well. So to have them all pulled together uh, into one track um, with De La Soul, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. And hopefully the, the listeners enjoy it. Thank you, Merrick. Have a great night. Awesome. Thanks, Susanna.